There's light at the end of the tunnel, but we are still living in a COVID world. How has leadership development changed in the last year of dealing with this? And even more than that, how has leadership itself changed as we've dealt with this? We're going to explore this and much more with our special guest, Rajiv Chandran, on this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Welcome, 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 all my friends. Welcome hey there. Hey. Everybody in the call. Rajiv, welcome to the uh, virtual studio. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I've been on the other side listening to your podcast for about a year now. So nice to be on this side. Oh, and, he's, and you're still listening after yeah. a year. It's amazing. That's, yeah. And your your Star Wars journey has kind of progressed along with your listenership <laughs> of Lordy Geeks podcast, as I recall. I have a confession on that, Bob. You know, I took all your recommendations on what sequence to watch Star Wars in. My six-year-old daughter and I started off. And then by movie one and a half, she was, this is too violent for me. I'm, I'm, uh, she threw in our towel and then I had to do the same. So I have exactly watched one and a half movies. As a <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll pick it up when she's older. Let's see. And that's the end of the podcast. Good night, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's great. Yeah, you I can knew, pick it up. You know. I knew this, yeah. was, this was objectionable content as far as this podcast is concerned, but that's the truth. Well, that's great. Well, hey, let's let's just dive right in then. We won't even talk about Star Wars anymore. Uh, Rajiv, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you've been and where you've worked and who you've worked with on this call and who's traded companies. And it's an interesting journey. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Rajiv Chandran. I live in India and at Accenture, I lead leadership development for Accenture globally, which really means that I get really excited about thinking of what kind of leaders do we need at Accenture to lead um, our clients, the work we do, our people into the future. And at the scale and size at which we operate, I think it is a it's a really privileged opportunity to not just have an impact on the work we do, but actually, I think at some level have an impact on the world itself. So I really enjoy what I do. And I have um, for several years been a student of the discipline of leadership. So I started off in consulting uh, and before I joined Accenture, used to work with McKinsey, which I understand is 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 Dana's daughter's name and, uh, <laughs> and and Jake's current employer. So Jake went from Accenture to McKinsey. I did the reverse, and um, yeah, where I used to help clients think about leadership and culture and supporting uh, their their business strategies. Uh, I'm also a, um, a certified integral coach, which really means I have a deep passion in learning about what makes human beings and leaders successful. And how do they bring uh, less separation in in their lives between work and life and uh, internal and external and um, and the rational and the emotional, et cetera? How do you integrate all of those aspects of yourself? I am married to a baker in Bangalore, and I have a six. Don't year I know it? <laughs> you do know it, and uh, <laughs> and I have a six-year-old girl who doesn't like Star Wars. Yeah, that's okay. There's hope for her yet. Does she bake though? No, not that either. So maybe she will see the light. But yeah, I, I've gotten the chance to sample a lot of the offerings from Rajiv's wife and she is a quality baker. Let me tell you that. So 
yeah, so so Rajiv is ex McKinsey, now Accenture. Jake is ex Accenture, now McKinsey. Now McKinsey. Uh, I am a two time boomerang to Accenture, and I first met Rajiv when I came back because you you joined while I was gone the most recent time. And Dana just never ever leaves Accenture. He is <laughs> a stalwart rock, which is great. But let's let's dive into the topic of the day and talk about. Uh, leadership development in the age of COVID. So um, Rajiv, I, I know that I've lived a lot of it because you and I have been working together very closely over the last year, but uh, to share with our listeners, you know, how, how have you seen things evolve at Accenture and also, you know, the other areas of leadership that you're involved in? Yeah. If I think about the, the time since the pandemic took force, I think it is, it is obviously tragic all from what's happened in the world and to different degrees everybody's felt some form of suffering um, and at the same time we've, we've we've been able to see how companies and leaders have really navigated the last few months and I, I always love to think of it as you know how has the way the world and leaders lead evolved and then what does that mean for uh, folks like us who who care about uh, developing leaders and helping people learn new things. So if I really think about the first part, how has leadership evolved in the last few months? Um, Bob, I've heard you talk about storytelling as having stories having a beginning, middle, and the end. Yeah, I almost feel what has happened in the last few years is the reverse of that. It's it's the act one was felt like the end. Act two was the middle, and I feel we are in Act three, which seems like a bit of a beginning. So, um, you know, if I just stay with that and, and explain what I mean by that a little bit, as soon as the pandemic hit in full force and people realized how big a deal it was, I think probably the Feb-March period, I call that the end because in in, a, in the end of any story, you associate things as as filled with high octane action, where things are moving fast, where barriers are being overcome, people are coming together, there's stories of redemption. And that's really what it felt like. You know, you most organizations saw unprecedented levels of collaboration. And there was single-minded focus that we have to take care of our people uh, first, and then our customers and our business, et cetera. People were approving things overnight, which used to take six months. Decisions were taking a few minutes, not several months. We were, even at Accenture, we were overturning practices which nobody had questioned for several years at the drop of a uh, hat. And, and I think there was this sense of energy and, and coming together, which was actually energizing. Yeah. And to me, a lot of the, uh, the first phases of that, the act one really felt that way, that, hey, we have really turned a corner on how high quality, effective responses to a situation can be done through leaders that come together. Um, so that was sort of, you know, act one. Act two was a bit like the middle where some of that passed and a lot of the right things were done. Um, but then we, we were also in a phase where a bit of the pandemic fatigue was setting in. Work-life blur was going on. There was this constant mental fog of, you know, when is this going to end or is there an end, et cetera. So, and that's when we saw some of those gains which we saw earlier being undone, right? Where it's almost like psychologically a lot of 
uh, people were taking a bit of a step back into an earlier stage of maturity where where there was a uh, you could see that people you know small things were being questioned you 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 could see um, more effort being needed to get stuff done you could see that there was this underlying anxiety which was always operating for everybody so it was a bit like a a long middle and now i call this the beginning because i'm hopeful that we are at the beginning of something new and uh, maybe a new form of leadership or maybe a form of leadership which was always lurking in the shadows but never got the spotlight and and maybe that's what's uh, ahead of us so i mean that's that's one way i've been thinking about the last few months so i a couple of questions as you're sharing those things rajiv one one thing that it i hear from that first act as you were defining it is um, I, I had a hard time putting my label around it, but what I called it was amplified collective risk-taking. It, it hmm. seems like the the leadership decided, okay, we can do away with this process, which in previous le- times of leadership, that might have been considered higher risk. But it's it's if everybody's taking these risks and trimming back processes or expediting things, it seems like that that gave everybody license to 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 react more efficiently and more effectively in the middle of a crisis is that am i understanding that in a good way yeah absolutely and i think it is also a, a situation where you see the power of a single common purpose mm. everybody's solving for pretty much the same thing yeah in the same order mostly and and to me that's a glimpse of what could be the beginning of something new here but it almost came up came upon us through the crisis that uh, there was a clear priority defined uh, because of the circumstances and then that enables people to feel uh, aligned and clear and decisive and risk take and take take risks that they were otherwise not willing to uh, which which happened for quite some time and you know if you, if you read some of the research done on this you will some many executives define it as the highest points of their career where they felt that they were doing great things at great speed with great collaboration and trust you have all sorts of hidden agendas that are no longer there because everyone has a unified agenda absolutely yeah, yeah. and the stakes are really high right so so to keep pushing kind of this movie story metaphor what happens in act three is the stakes have been elevated to the point where you have the big, you know, climactic, uh, climactic ending. And we just came into that immediately. Like, wow, we've never done this before. Stakes are super high. We gotta, mm-hmm. we, we've got to do this or we will not survive as a company. Yeah. So Rajiv for, for this new act three, and mm-hmm. it, it sounds like the middle, clearly there was fatigue that set in and, and also the unknown, but it sounds that you're hopeful that there may be a new beginning, but why, what's, what's one of the challenges to reconnecting to this overall purpose that clearly we saw at the beginning? Yeah. And I am hopeful because of what I saw in the last few months in, in not just in act one, but even beyond, I think a few market shifts that, that are clear to us is that, for example, the role of, business in society is there's never been a clearer call to action from businesses worldwide and CEOs worldwide around social and political issues 
which everybody ducked under the table about a few years ago. Uh, so that's that's endured, and maybe that's even picked up more pace than during the first phase or even pre-pandemic. I'm also hopeful because what what we saw uh, we just had a had a collective experience of what can be achieved if there is a shared purpose which is over which is bigger than uh, just profit for example or bigger than just one stakeholder's needs we just demonstrated collectively not just at accenture i'm sure at many companies that people go to extraordinary lengths when they are motivated and inspired by something bigger than themselves which we were forced into but then what if uh, companies take that learning and translate that into something sustainable on what what really motivates people and really the inner drive that people bring uh, towards what they do so i'm hopeful because of that and you know if you think of so today's an interesting day today is when the world economic forum is kicking off uh, not in davos it's online but the the theme for it is uh, is about the year to rebuild trust so there is a whole recognition that the job is not over there's a lot more work that needs to be done for corporations across the world to uh, or institutions across the world to rebuild trust with all stakeholders so i think there is a strong intention i call it the beginning because i don't think we're out out of the middle yet because I, if if the lived reality for a lot of people is probably still you know looking at a at the horizon which is not ending right there's there's different speeds at which economies are reviving there's different speeds at which um, the right healthcare actions are happening across the world and there's different uh, work life realities still evolving people still are heavily involved in school and childcare in addition to work so it is very much a transition going on but i feel we are at the cusp of it i wonder if we want to pivot to a discussion around the skills that are needed or the skills that perhaps you're seeing emerging or changing based on the new demands of leadership um certainly you know we talked about risk taking i i think uh when you talk about people getting fatigued i think that leaders need to be able to figure out how do i inspire um mm. a remote workforce uh in in your observation what are some of the other skills that you're seeing that are either shifting or emerging that the leaders in the this type of a situation need yeah i would probably point to three i'm i'm, I'm sure there are lots but i see these three coming up again and again and they are uh, transparency humility and humanity and um, you know if if i think about transparency for a second i don't think we've ever been in a place where where it's visible to everybody what you do as a leader or as a company and uh, you know i read this phrase in this book called the naked corporation which was published in 2003 i think which I'm not a fan of the phrase but it makes the point beautifully it says if you're naked you better be buff right so <laughs> if if you if everything that you do with your customers and your suppliers and to the environment and to your people is visible to pretty much everybody then you better get your act together and the bar i think has never been higher on transparency for leaders in the way they lead on a day-to-day -day basis and for corporations overall 
So, I mean, that's that's transparency. And I think that's a big ask of a lot of leaders who have grown up in a world where their source of power was information asymmetry. They 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 used to lead because they had they were privy to things others were not privy to. So I think that's transparency. Is that a skill that's developable or trainable? I think more so. transparent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think so. I think this is um, again the the definitions get get tricky sometimes, even for me to you know what is a skill or a mindset. But I do believe each of these, for for simplicity, let's call these qualities. To cultivate these qualities, I think it 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 involves shifts at um, all levels, at at a identity level, at a level of a mindset, and at the level of a behavior or a skill. So there's there's that whole transformation that each of these could go through um, uh, as we think about them. So that's that sort of transparency, right? Humility and humanity. If I talk about quickly, and we can dive deeper later, humility is just. I think it's a big um, ask of anybody leading today to have a view into what's going to happen in the future. And a lot of the leaders have grown up with this passionate love affair with certainty, where certainty was what everybody sought. I mean, we want a concrete plan for how this will happen. Tell me what the next six months are going to look like. Certainty was the place, was the go-to place for the most successful leaders who are leading today. And suddenly we are saying that, hey, there's not much that's certain anymore. Now lead. And that's a deeply uncomfortable space for, for, for everybody involved. So the leaders who can go past that and, and not be okay not being one of the smartest people in the room for a long time, and have the humility to constantly learn and ask for help and say they don't know is a whole new ask. I feel uh, at, at the scale at which it is being it is being um, demanded of people. And then humanity to me is just, you know, maybe the simplest way to say this is we've always valued leaders with deep business acumen. I think it's time to start valuing leaders with deep business acumen and deep personal acumen on who they are as humans and who are they working with and what do human beings need and what motivates humans. That's a whole area of learning. Um, in addition to being deeply proficient in the businesses they run and the, and the institutions they manage. It feels like we've been talking about that for years, but maybe we haven't actually seen that come to fruition. I mean, that's so true, Bob, because I don't think any of this is new. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why I felt all of this was lurking in the shadows. Yeah. For a long time. And suddenly there's been this clarifying event, which has, which has, it's a bit like, you know, water to a fish and air to us that we don't, we didn't see it. But now I think it's staring us in the face that, hey, th there are a few of these things. And I'm not saying these are exhaustive, but some of these things that we've been you know, whispering in the, in the corridors. Well, it's interesting to me when I hear your three points the core commonality of it all is trust. The, mm -hmm. That's what I kind of see, you know, to dig deeper through those it's trust that's underlying. And in so many ways through this experience, I think leaders have realized that they can trust their people where they never 
they never could before. Even something as basic as can your employees stay productive while they're working at home, right? We just did the great master experiment to see if that worked. And we found out that, yeah. And there were a lot of people that were surprised by that. Uh, So now what does that mean? Now I can trust my people. I can manage less. I can lead more. And Bob, the way I was thinking about it too, it's kind of a related idea, but the whole idea of self-confidence and then confidence in others. And uh, I mean, those are, those are really good qualities to groom. If you don't have self-confidence, then that whole transparency thing goes away, right? Because you're trying to hide things or keep things secret. Um, if you don't have self-confidence, humility is, is really hard as well. So mm. uh, I, I like, I like uh, both trust and confidence and self-confidence. Yeah. And Rajiv, too, when we go back to trust, because this is an area that I internally for me has been an area that we've been focusing on, specifically relating to learning. When you think of trust and humility and humanity, and I'm assuming that one of the feedbacks and common feedback that you hear is that it's hard to develop trust in a world where we're not physically present as much as we were used to. So as as leaders, what what are you learning from from that aspect of of just developing trust with other humans and 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 building strong relationships to then you know as a leader being able to teach others um, being able to work with others more effectively um, what are some of the skills there uh, that you see that needs to be changed and, and developed for new leaders yeah and I and I agree with you Jake that this is this is not easy it is hard for anybody to uh, unlearn and relearn not just a skill right here we are talking about some some really uh, deeply held beliefs and mindsets that have been wildly successful for a long period of time and it's almost so successful that it's the it's the unseen environment we operate in i mean that's how things are done that's almost work has been defined work that we know of today has been defined by some of these um, these these conclusions that, hey, this is how things are done. And we are trying to unwire some of that. So to me, the there are there's a, there's an individual aspect to this. And there is a bit of an institutional aspect to this. And and the individual aspect, as you guys have talked about several times in this podcast, is is really about um, rewiring deeply held patterns and learning new ones, which is a you know it's i i loved your episode on boredom i think it's a really boring exercise it's a bit of that wax on <laughs> wax off forever kind of an endeavor right where you have to uh, be at the smallest thing for for a long period of time uh, getting feedback and adjusting and tweaking over a period of time so how do you change your own relationship with transparency or trust is that one part of that is this whole individual awareness to development, to practice, to embodying kind of a journey. Everybody has to be on. But then there is the, I think, the, the accelerator to this, which is the institutional component, which is how can organizations rewire themselves and the work itself to be supportive of such changes? And I think that's where not much work is done. A lot of the leadership development is still very much at, okay, let's take a group of leaders and give them awareness of what they need to be doing differently and give them the tools and the paths to do things differently. 
but that's really leader development i mean that's not leadership development when you mm-hmm. talk about more leadership development then you're really talking about the institutional side of things as well now how do your um, values how does your purpose speak to this as a company how do your values speak to this how do your processes and systems speak to this what are you incentivizing who are you promoting who are you letting go who are you hiring and who are you celebrating all those things get called into question as you think of rewiring something as fundamental as transparency or trust or or humility and things like that so i think that's what gets harder the individual piece of this is you know we 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 have a path to that we there's enough research there's enough um, work done in that space but doing that in conjunction with the institutional part i think that's a that's new territory for a lot of lot of companies so rajiv i'm going to ask you to uh, predict with certainty what the next 6 months are going to look like <laughs> <laughs> no not really um but i, I did want to ask and be very transparent as you're doing <laughs> yeah. right in that in that vein, with everything that we've talked about before, I, I started the podcast by saying there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, we still have a lot of dark days, I know, but uh, vaccines are out and coming. It seems like more are going to be coming into into production soon. Um, I I just found out that I'm actually uh, tier 1C because I'm, I'm still overweight. So I have to cut back on my diet before I get a vaccine. Um but sooner rather than later, things are going to be back to normal, quote unquote normal. H- how does this change? Do we, you know, does everything kind of slide back to the way it was? Uh, how do we keep the the positive aspects of our change that we are seeing here? How do we keep those alive? Yeah, I think there's, you know, getting back to normal, to me, uh, it's going to be a very different reality is my yeah. certain prediction with whatever certainty <laughs> I muster right now. And there are a few leading indicators to that, right? We are already seeing at a macro level, if you look at what's happening uh, from a flow of capital perspective, there's a clear uh, way in which investments are being tiered towards companies which are known to be more respect, responsible and uh, you know have, have impact on multiple stakeholders in a positive way. So there is a there's a, there's a there's a shift of capital which is a pretty strong force to reckon with which i think will provide uh, a, a sustainable uh, shift in what companies value and really if you think of this change we are really talking about changing what you care about and starting to care about new things and then that's true at an individual level and at an institutional level you know you 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 want institutions to care about um, more than just shareholders and i think a large majority of them are beginning or are very advanced in that journey already with accountability with publicly you know mentioned goals and open to being held to account for the transparency that they're showing what what i think will will follow or or should follow is the same at the individual level where leaders are willing to uh, stand up and take a stand on what kind of leaders they want to be and what kind of leadership they want to see around them and i think people will start voting with their feet uh, to to gravitate towards leaders and companies which stand by these and um, and you know avoid the others so there is a i like to believe as i said this is the beginning and a and an almost inevitability the time horizons might might 
flip back and forth based on how 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 much we can lend our voices to this but um i'm i'm quite hopeful Rajiv, this is all really fascinating. Uh, one thing I'm wondering, because a lot of our audience is in the training business um, and the leadership business, of course, but but how how do you think, uh, either how have you seen or how do you think leadership development and training needs to change uh, based on where you're seeing things go? I think it's a great question, Dana. And, you know, I, I feel there are, there's this often quoted, um, statistic around things an obscenely high number of leadership development interventions don't lead to any real impact right and uh, you know and it's 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 it used to make me really sad when i read that of of the profession that i've chosen but at the same time <laughs> uh, you know when i when i step back and think about it of course they don't have impact i mean you're talking about a, a typical leader spending I don't know, 3% of their time in a structured leadership development program. And we expect that to um, help them unlearn and relearn new mindsets and new behaviors and shift their identity, perhaps, et cetera. Um, So if I think of the shift in that space, I think one, there is recognition and there's growing recognition that one-off events, which extract people from their existing environment, take them to a to kind of a sanitized environment where they interact and learn skills and then drop people back into the same environment are not going to have sustainable impact. So what does that mean for us? I think it means, um, at one level, it means that this is the point where for learning and leadership development, we have to really turn our eyes to the work itself as as being the source and the laboratory and the learning environment where where things new things get learned and old things get unlearned and it's it's not even just infusing learning or leadership development into into the work it's i think it's reshaping work itself we have to rethink work from if you ask anybody what what do you you know what's what's the definition of work people might say it's a set of activities that perform to achieve a certain goal i think we have to start at that level Work has to be redefined as a set of experiments I do every day to learn about what happens when I do that experiment so mm-hmm. that I can do it better the next time around. I think that level of fundamental rethink of rethinking of work and our relationship work is probably what we are faced with here. And really, I think that's a call to action to all of us to say that, are we up for it? Because the the more programs and a better program of course, they won't do damage. They'll probably even have some impact. But the real value uh, that lies in front of us is more on the on, on reshaping work itself. I love that whole idea of experimenting and learning from the experiments. And of course, you know, we often talk about learning by failure. And, and part of experimenting is not having successful experiments, but moving forward after you've learned something from the previous experiment. Great insight, Rajiv. Yes, and this has been a fantastic half hour. Rajiv, thank you. I'm thinking maybe let's get you back on in six months. I don't know that the world will be completely back to normal then, but things will definitely have shifted. And we'll see if his predictions uh, with certainty play out. <laughs> right. We'll do a little bit of a review. He's very transparent, though. To, to un- yeah, exactly. Not, not aware that it's totally certain. Exactly. <laughs> He'll do it with so, humility, no doubt. 
Rajiv, <laughs> any any final thoughts or words of wisdom before we sign off? No, I'm I'm glad that you guys are on this journey. I really, as I said, I was. This has been on my playlist as I walk and run in the last few months, and uh, I thoroughly enjoy what you're doing. And I'm glad that you're delving into spaces and creating an audience which is going to be. Uh, shaping some of the things we spoke about. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And to our listeners, thanks for being here as well. Hope you've enjoyed this. And on behalf of Jake and Dana and Rajiv, this is Bob signing off. And we'll see you on our next episode of the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.